0: Oh, I used to be a rounder. I've been around this town. I used to be a rounder. Been around this town. I've courted Pretty Polly. I've been. A- Thanks for tuning in to another Mountain Murders. How you doing, Dylan? Hello. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hello, no.
0: So, if only you could see Dylan right now. He is uh, rocking a man bun, which is not a normal look for you.
1: No, and I would only do this in the privacy of my own home.
0: And here I am ratting you out.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm I was sorry. really not going to discuss this with anybody, yeah. but I will leave you with namasta.
0: Oh, my gosh. Were you at the yoga festival today?
1: We were near the yoga festival. <laughs> <laughs> we almost got drawn in and we got the fuck out.
0: Oh, it was bad. Yeah, we were in downtown Asheville today, kind of kicking around. I had an appointment, and we tried to make the most of the day uh, while we were over there. And it was something else. There was the Asheville Yoga Festival happening. So it was a lot of white women wearing stretchy pants and carrying mats
1: around
0: downtown, giggling and drinking lattes. Too bad it's not pumpkin spice season.
1: Yeah, I've never seen anything quite like it. They were just kept coming in herds and in waves. It was like a, um, you know, human shield army attack where you just keep, you know, that people get mowed down, but you just keep sending middle aged white women with yoga mats and yoga pants on, and eventually you just overrun their defensive positions.
0: Oh my gosh! Well, this was one of the first times that we've been to Asheville where we were just kind of like felt out of place. Wow, it's over for us. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, we've we known for a long time that gentrification was coming, was happening, but it's done for.
1: It's over. It has been completed.
0: Stick a fork in it.
1: You will not be in and around Asheville. Uh, you know, you won't be able to afford to be in and around Asheville if you're, you know, not one of these new people i'm not lying
0: well what was amazing to me is while we were downtown now the Asheville that i grew up with and i'm sure you would recognize dylan was quite a unique community it was diverse there was a lot of art artists um music there was always
1: artists funky
0: people like weird people you would see like just the oddballs and that was like what made Asheville so fun and then you had like the normal local types right redneck good old boys whatever but there was no diversity downtown today. I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb. I did, too. You know? And yeah,
1: and we're wide as hell. Uh, you know, oh my we're just, well, it's it was not just about just race, though. It was
0: so yuppie.
1: It was yuppie.
0: It was super yuppie.
1: And anywhere. I mean,
0: I had on my typical, like, all black gear. <laughs> yeah. Because it's what I do. And I felt like people were looking at me like, who, you know, who is she supposed to be? Because I wasn't wearing, like, khakis and, like, a cardigan sweater twin set.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, we were in the Hamptons. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? It was really weird. It was like the Hamptons. You know, some of these people you would see around Asheville, some were kind of kooky and goofy, some a little bit like, whoa, that dude might be a little bit crazy. But some of these people were like characters. You're oh, like, oh, char- I always see the spear dude out, walking out Merriman every time I go out through there, you know, no shirt on with his you know, ornament or traditional spear and, like, yeah, it was spear oh, guy. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, I remember the guy who would hang out down at, like, Pritchard Park during the drum circles and just whenever, and he would dress like a wizard.
1: Yes, and I've seen wizard like, dude. And this was
0: before, like, Harry Potter was a oh, thing. Oh, yeah. And this guy would always make appearances at Belcher. I mean, he was just, like, a staple, but looked like a wizard, had a long beard, carried like a staff almost. Yeah. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. he needed to be airbrushed on the side of my dream van.
1: He was like a real wizard.
0: Yeah, he was fucking great. I don't see the wizard man anymore. No wizard man.
1: And the spoons lady is leaving. So she can't afford to live in Asheville anymore.
0: Well, who can at this point?
1: No. And so we went there today and uh, anyway, we'll wrap this up. We feel like we see why. You know, you're seeing these reports. People talking about, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. And it's because the entire economic model of that area has changed drastically and completely.
0: Oh, not to mention how the infrastructure is completely lacking to support lacking for this, this migration of people. Yes. Everywhere we went, traffic. I'm not talking like a little bit of traffic. I'm talking backed up for miles and miles and, and miles. And this was a calm day. And we were like, what the hell? Like, this sucks.
1: Yeah. So it's over. So we will do an um, episode on Asheville because Asheville has been murdered by rich white gentrificators. It's <laughs> so, we're going to do an episode on the Asheville later, guys.
0: <laughs> they're listening in right now, and they're like, excuse me, is there a manager for Mountain Murders?
1: Karen, you are speaking to the manager. <laughs> I manage here at Mountain Murders. I ca- uh, can I help you?
0: Well, sir, you you have a man bun, so I just can't take you seriously. I am is 41 there, years is old, there, Karen. like an adult here I can speak with?
1: I am the general manager and uh, the proprietor of this establishment. So,
0: Well, I'm going to leave you a bad internet review.
1: Well, that's fine. If you'll just get the fuck out of my business, you can go ahead and write whatever you need to on FaceTime.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, I'm enjoying a nice what is this? Oh. Um, it is a peppermint mocha stout. Yeah. Actually pretty good.
1: We were going go ahead and tell where it's from. It's, we'll make a get make a deal with them later. <laughs> <laughs> it's no from good.
0: Bear Waters Brewing Company in Canton, North Carolina.
1: That is very interesting. I tasted that last night and I was like, "Eh, peppermint stout, but I tasted it and it's very interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know I like the dark beers, the stouts, porters, so I think it's pretty tasty.
1: Yeah, and uh, since we're talking about that, I am enjoying Mountain Mojo from Bear Waters as well.
0: I had one of those Um, before, and it was very good. It was tasty. It's a lager, right?
1: Yes, very interesting for a lager.
0: Yeah, I liked it. It um, almost kind of had like a funky fruit taste or something i don't know like when I, I was thinking it had like almost a hint of grapefruit or something in it yes know. there's
1: a few fruits in it yeah so yeah yeah you got mango and a splash of a cascade of hops that adds yet another layer of fruit okay guys we're really not getting paid by this place so i'm not <laughs> going to it anymore but it's pretty good couple local brews
0: well let's get into the heart of the case are you ready
1: uh yeah let's do this I am ready. i'm ready and i'm ready i feel sassy. And I'm just ready to do this. And you
0: have your man bun, and we're ready to get started. Yes. Okay, so April 6th, 1997, six young people ranging in ages from 14 to 20, um, we're living in Pikeville, Kentucky, Jason Bryant, Natasha Cornett, Dean Mullins, Joe Risner, Crystal Sturgill, and Karen Howell. And they seem like, you know, your typical kind of clique of friends. Only what made these guys a little different on this particular day, they were embarking on a road trip to New Orleans, Louisiana. New Orleans.
1: Oh, so they're getting the hell out, huh?
0: Yeah. And so why did they pick New Orleans, you ask? Well, we can get into that right now. I'm going to give you a little background on these six characters, quite a motley crew, Of friends we have here. So Natasha Cornett, she was raised by a single mom in a trailer park in Pineville, Kentucky. So by high school, she was alienated from most of her classmates. She was anorexic. She had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which mostly had been untreated because, you know, lack of health insurance. And by the ninth grade, she had already dropped out of school. She was married fairly young by the age of 17 but only for a couple of weeks to a guy that she said had been kind of a lifelong friend, and that era, that marriage, I'm sorry, uh, ended. You know, like I said, pretty quickly. Well, that's and, real quick, two week, couple weeks. Yeah, and she would later say that that was just absolutely devastating. But you know, this is '97, and even though that's been a while, um, I, I mean, I was probably close in age to this girl, you know, at this time. Right. Um. In 97, I would have been 17. See, I'm really showing how old I am right now. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine being married, dropping out in the ninth grade, being married by 17, to only have that marriage last a couple of weeks. I mean, yeah, I can see where that would be devastating to a young woman who's maybe in this puppy love. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And
1: still young and all that.
0: That marriage ended, and she was sort of the kind of girl she was described as being, like very attractive, but would often use those good looks to manipulate the boys in town.
1: So she was using her milkshake
0: to bring all the boys to the yard. Yep, oh you nailed God. it. Well, she had embraced the goth subculture as an early teen, meaning like she was wearing all black. She was listening to a lot of doom metal, using drugs and alcohol. Well, I mean, who wasn't? I'm just kidding. She was also self-mutilating, cutting her wrists, slicing—you know, just slicing her body up, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so, as an outcast, She's a yeah. Well, doesn't that kind of go hand in hand with a lot of bipolar disorder?
1: Yeah, I was going to say that is a—you uh, um, know—some people might tie that up with their concept of some, you know, dark emo goth person. But yeah, that's—I think that's more just like a mental thing that you can have or not. I've known people. Yeah, to do that.
0: Well, you know, as an outcast, she kind of became the leader of this group of other kind of weird outcast kids. And you've got to imagine, I mean, they're living in Pineville, Kentucky.
1: Yeah. We've
0: been through Pineville. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yacht- that is
1: that town, isn't it? Yeah.
0: And not to insult people from Pineville, Kentucky. It's just a tiny little but town. But you've got to admit, it's not the most exciting place on earth. So, we can identify with this story. I mean, we both grew up in small towns, fairly boring, yeah, kind of p- country, rural kinds of towns.
1: Pineville was very picturesque. It looked like the perfect little small town, like it's sitting off there and, the, you know, But it's very small. You can see the whole town like, oh, what was that? Oh, that was Palmville. Yeah. Right.
0: Probably a lot like where we live. And it feels like it's
1: in the middle of kind of by itself, you know, like there ain't a whole lot around.
0: Right. Well, you can imagine in the 90s, it was probably even less around. Well, Dean Mullins, uh, another member of the group, was described as a just good-loving country boy. And in 1996, he had dropped out of school, but he was working on getting his GED, he also worked at a grocery store. And it was after he became romantically involved with Natasha Cornett that his family and friends say his behavior definitely kind of made a turn for the worse. Like up until that point, he'd just been a, like a good old boy, sweet kid, you know, not getting into much trouble. But and, he was in love with her and wanted to marry her. Like so that's what he would tell people.
1: You know what she did? I know what she did. What? She threw that ill nana on his ass. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah.
0: Okay, Foxy bro.
1: No, but yeah, that's what happens after you that happens, they just tell you what to do. Or they tell you like give you instructions while they're giving you the ill nana and you just go do it like a menturian candidate.
0: Yeah, I think that yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah. We were talking about that earlier today, that's kinda how our relationship works. Yeah. Anyway. So Joseph Reisner was rumored to be Cornette's new boyfriend. So, as I mentioned before, really attractive girl and use those good looks to manipulate guys. So, she's been kind of seeing this kid, Dean Mullins, and then I'm assuming that was kind of over, although he said he was in love with her. He wanted to marry her. So, he had it bad, yeah. bad crush.
1: He had a bad...
0: But she'd already moved on at that point to this guy, Joe Risner. So, Joe had recently been kicked out of the army for drugs. He had a history of drug abuse. He claimed he'd had sex with babysitters when he was a kid, like 12 years old. And at some point, he had dated Karen Howell, who's going to come into the picture in just a moment. So there has been some discussion that there might have even been some kind of love triangle with these two females, Karen and Natasha. And Natasha was definitely like the ringleader of the group and supposedly like the hot one. And then you've got this Karen Howell who's kind of vying for Joe's attention. And then you've also got Dean Mullins who's kind of vying for Natasha's attention. Oh, geez. So it just seems like. Geez Louise. Yeah. Like, so no episode, Like, yeah, mm. just some drama. Crystal Sturgill came from an abusive background, but was mostly considered to be a good student. Karen Howell was an underachiever, but didn't come from a troubled background. I guess she worked at a daycare with kids, and at some point, she's going to say she was molested by her stepfather, and after that happened, she kind of bounced around and was living at, like, 13 different places from December to April. Well, that's not good. Before this road trip was about to happen. As I mentioned, Crystal Sturgill, she was really good friends with Dean Mullins and was really critical of his relationship with Natasha. So, she did not, like... Natasha very much.
1: Yeah, it's not like she was couch surfing, not spending more than a day or two at, you know, hardly a couple of days at each place, you know, 13 times in a month.
0: Then we have the final character in this mix here, Jason Bryant. Now, he was 14 at the time of this road trip. And he had the IQ of 85 and the social and emotional skills of an 11-year-old. He had a history of drug and alcohol abuse beginning as early as 3. Yes.
1: I did not know that one of these people in this group was that what you just described. Yeah. It's like every time the group has that guy.
0: It's true. It makes me think of, <coughs> and we'll get.
1: And that's no details. offense to anyone that has, a, you know, any of that. That's no offense to anyone. But they, they end up in these situations and get manipulated.
0: Well, that's true. And it really makes me think of, and we'll get into the meat of this case. And why it's got a lot of parallels with, like, the West Memphis Three. Yeah. And it makes me think of the Jesse Miss Kelly. There you go. Guy from the West Memphis Three murders. Same thing. Low IQ. Not a lot of social skills. The cops took advantage
1: of him, even. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Jason Bryant, by the eighth grade, you know, just wasn't doing very well in school. Troubled kid. Kind of known around town. Like, this guy is a little punk-ass. Well, he met Natasha just kind of at random in Pikeville, and they became friends. So he only knew her about a month before they decided to go on this road trip. And as I mentioned, Karen Howell, she, you know, was kind of an underachiever. Um, Apparently, her IQ was only around like 78. She had, uh, you know, a lot of cognitive learning issues, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, so... this was
0: kind of like the underachiever of the group, kind of, sort of, uh, not a great student.
1: So this group has two of those people? Yeah. Okay, and uh, do not say that in a disparaging manner.
0: Well, another thing about Karen Howell is, I guess she and her mother didn't have, like, this great relationship. And at some point, her mother had found a Ouija board. Now, this is a story, I guess, that kind of came out later. That her mother had found this Ouija board in her bedroom and was frantic, just, oh, this is the worst thing, and sent Karen to some preachers to have those demons cast out.
1: Ah, it'd be like that movie we were watching earlier.
0: So that has to be pretty traumatizing.
1: Well, there's no telling what, well, you know how much abuse and stuff's been laid upon people through exorcism, you know, people who are exorcising demons? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, she had met Natasha and Joe Risner, like, through school. And quickly kind of fell into this group of outcasts. And because, you know, she was dabbling. Sorry, there was my laptop. She was dabbling in a little bit of the occult stuff, playing with the Ouija board. She was really interested, I guess, in witchcraft, which Natasha also, you know, had this interest, was into Ouija boards, playing with tarot cards, reading about, um, you know, the occult, witchcraft, Wicca, all those things, okay. listening to doom metal.
1: Well, yeah, and back then, at the tail, the end, uh, tail end of the uh, satanic panic, for lack of a better word, had gripped the nation for what since the eighties, late eighties oh, yeah. on, mid eighties. Well,
0: and right before this, as I mentioned, there was the West Memphis Three,
1: and that was totally the attitude that people had about anybody that does any of the things you just listed, let alone all of them, with the the rock music, the doom metal, and the Ouija board and witchcraft, and you know. I don't, yeah, you're totally going to be like, oh, if something bad happened, that person right there has done it because you already think they were like a Satanist or something.
0: Well, yeah. So that brings us to April 5th, the day before the road trip. So this would have been April 5th, 1997. I believe it was a Friday evening. The kids had been partying kind of out at like this old campground area. They would go drink, party, build a bonfire, pretend they were, you know, practicing some kind of like... Black magic type of thing, and there were a lot of kids who would hang out there. But apparently, this group was very um, exclusive. weren't really like socializing with the other groups. Wow! Just kind of being weird.
1: So they're the head goths.
0: They're the head goths. Are they? You can't witch with us.
1: Are they the goth branch of the Wellington family? (laughs) They could be. Okay, well, we'll just we'll go we'll dig into that more later, guys.
0: I don't know what he's talking about. Okay. I'm just going to pretend I don't know. Well, okay, so they're partying at this campground, hanging out, drinking, uh, you know, sitting around by the bonfire, probably listening to Wagon Wheel, but like a goth version. Yeah. Just kidding. But at some point, they decide they're going to go check into a motel room, which was like $27 a night. Okay. So back in 97, not an expensive room. Honestly, I don't know. Might have been kind of a little musty.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I know it's still the nine. You know, ninety-seven. It's going to be a little bit less. But twenty. Let's be honest. Any room you get for under thirty, forty bucks. I don't care what time period it is, unless it's nineteen ten. It's going to be dusty as fuck, like crack smoke's going to come out when you open the door.
0: Yeah, well, I'm not going to give the name of the motel. I have it here, but I'm not going to mention it because I don't want to get sued by these people when they find out I called their place Musty. But the kids go check into this motel room. Now, later, Cornette's mother would say that her daughter and friends did something in that motel room that unleashed a horrible demon spirit on them.
1: Oh my god, they had a Necronomicon.
0: Well others who witnessed this event, if we want to call it an event, said the sixteens gathered at the motel to conduct a satanic ritual while burning black candles.
1: Oh my god.
0: Witches with black machine.
1: The black candles from Walmart? Probably. Oh. I don't
0: even know if these kids had a Walmart nearby. Well, Cornette, of course, adding insult to injury, for as her reputation around town, considered herself a vampire.
1: That would help people think you're normal. You know, that would help with your image.
0: Well, she named her black dog Malkavian, Malkavian after a vampire that was in some board game she really liked.
1: That's pretty awesome.
0: She was playing a lot of these like fantasy vampire kinds of games, card games, board games. Yeah. And the walls in her bedroom were covered in satanic symbols and had phrases like, I hate the world, scrawled, you know, on the walls.
1: Well, you know, they say satanic symbols, but there's a lot of symbols that get grouped into that. You know what I mean? Like you could have the symbol for a whole nother reason.
0: I get it. But I'm just telling but, yeah. you, these things no, kind of lead always... to this bigger picture Oh, yeah.
1: Scenario. And I didn't mean to, yeah. But, yeah, it's funny how that happens, though. But
0: Well, on the night of this alleged ritual, now remember I told you that Jason Bryant was the youngest of the group, 14. And he'd only met Natasha about a month before kind of weekend is unfolding.
1: So he doesn't really know these people. He
0: doesn't. But on that night, he carved Natasha's initials into his arm. And now you're dating. It brings back the whole thing about she was attractive and she used those good looks to rope them in.
1: That was tender of 97 was carving initials in your arm because that let the girl know you were serious and you were going to put some skin in the game.
0: Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I was just thinking that um, she was like a succubus.
1: Yeah, and you, you roll across a dude has got like 50 sets of initials. Like, Damn. Yeah, you date funny. around, don't you?
0: <laughs> well, the night uh, of this satanic ritual, there was also an attempt to burn 666 in the carpet of the motel room. I mean, who are these kids? Black Oak, Arkansas? What are they, like some cheesy band from the 70s that has to like, trash a motel room?
1: <laughs> yeah. Trash it God style?
0: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Well, a few days before this motel incident... Cornette was seen in a grocery store with Joe Risner, and she led the long-haired, lanky Risner around by a dog chain, fastened to a collar around his neck. I mean, I'm sure this was all for shock value. You gotta consider, she's bored, she's living in this small town. You know
1: that's what it is. So,
0: this is all purely entertainment.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, they're just carrying on, trying to freak out the old folk there in this small town.
0: Well, they uh, gotta be bored. I mean, I know what it was like to be kind of that, um, weirdo oddball kind of kid living in a small town and doing things just for shock value. Like, because I was already kind of the odd kid or the freak or whatever.
1: Yeah. I can
0: relate to this group of kids.
1: It's almost like they're staring at me anyway. Yeah. I might as well give them something to look at and have fun with Oh, it.
0: yeah. Give them something to talk about. I yeah. I mean, that was definitely my attitude. And so, I think that a lot of Cornette's outlandish behavior was really just for attention to establish some sort of control level of, like, coolness or, like, or dominance. Like, oh, she's, cr-, you know, because it was kind of her way, as you mentioned, control. To,
1: well, like, not, and not even so much harsh. like a... Maybe, you know, she not felt in control, not even like in a dangerous way, you know, in the beginning. But, yeah, just some like, you, you know, you're going to be weird. People going to treat me like crap. But at least I have some kind of control over why, because I do, you know, I've right. known people. I've seen, you know, new people like that in school who just did really weird shit out of nowhere just because, you know, It's almost like they didn't get any reaction from people unless they were doing weird shit. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. yeah. April 6th. The morning after this alleged ritual carpet burning, arm carving event,
1: this was a hell of a night. Yeah, and not a single mention of drugs.
0: I did not party this hard as a high schooler.
1: Yeah, well, in a small town, yeah, someone was like, "Hey, man, let's co- let's cut
0: letters into our arms." Hey, let's summon a demon and play with a Ouija board. Okay. Yeah, well, I might have tried that once or twice, but okay. Anyway, moving along. So, April sixth, the morning. After the event, this group spent the morning driving around the county. They visited with some friends. They broke into a couple of houses. It was during this time that they robbed the houses, picked up some guns. Oh. Yeah, some ammunition. Then they were buying drugs. Oh, okay. And they had a 9mm and a 25 caliber pistol that they managed to pick up during this little mini crime spree.
1: I was wondering when they were going to get some drugs.
0: Yeah, well, they got some drugs. Once they get on the road, they're driving Joe's mom's car. Yeah. So, (laughs) if you remember, Joe was recently kicked out of the Army. He's the oldest of the group. He's 20. But driving his mama's car. And it was overheating. They pulled over while they're still in... I'm sorry, Virginia. They're in Kentucky. So they pull over. They tried to hotwire a couple of cars. They went to like a used car lot. They were unsuccessful. So they continued looking for a car to steal. And eventually they gave up and tried to continue on in Joe's mom's car.
1: You know you about that life when you're in Joe's mom's car. Committing crimes.
0: Yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, really, that's
1: rolling out. And
0: now remember, they're trying to get to New Orleans. Pineville, Kentucky to New Orleans, that's like a good 15-hour drive.
1: Yeah, and you're already having car troubles.
0: Yeah. So this is already, like, they're setting themselves up for some failure with this road trip, I think.
1: I should turn around and go home.
0: Well, by the time they reached Baileyton, Tennessee, they had to pull over at a rest stop because the car just was not functioning in the right way. So, while they're hanging out at this rest stop, you know, a couple of them are hanging out, smoking, joking, coking, whatever. I guess the fellows are over tinkering with the car. The group was approached by a man named Vidar, who asked them if they believed in God.
1: (sighs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, here you got this group of teens pissed off at the world, basically, right? Is everybody under 20? Yes. So, yeah, okay, uh, d- clad in black, everybody near our age remembers the top when, you know, goth was goth, and uh, yeah, black trench coats possibly, all black everything. Not Girl- these
0: Instagram witches today.
1: Yeah, girls might have, you know, bright colored hair or whatever, but and, and everybody's giving you a fuck you, I wish I was dead attitude.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay,
1: so here comes tour. Vidar. Vidar. So, right. Vidar
0: Lilylid, nice name, hey, huh?
1: I love it. I Vidar just...
0: Lilylid was born in Norway but moved to the United States in 1985. And in 1989, he married Delphina Zalea. She was a first generation Honduran American from New York City. The two were Jehovah's Witnesses and made a connection through their church involvement. This couple had decided to settle in Knoxville, Tennessee, because they felt it was a good place for raising a family. Now, Vidar worked as a hotel bellman in Knoxville. And by this time, 1997, the couple was living in East Tennessee. They had two children. They had a six-year-old daughter named Tabitha and a two-year-old son, Peter. So the Lily Lids were returning from a religious retreat, kind of a conference, on this day. And they happen to stop off at this I-81 rest stop. Just a picnic to, you know, take a bathroom break, stretch their legs.
1: V- Vidor? Vidor? Vidor. Vidor is all pumped up on well, the Holy Spirit. Well,
0: Vidar. Right. Yeah,
1: Vidar has got that got that energy running through him. Well,
0: probably. I'm going to witness. I, yes, exactly. Here's this group, as you mentioned, hanging out. Teenagers, surly attitude. They got their black clothing. Wearing chains. He
1: couldn't help it.
0: Dog collars, chokers, got the black lipstick. I mean, they did not want to hear the word of God.
1: Uh, these are no. kids
0: who are proclaiming themselves to be Satanists.
1: Anarchists. Wiccans. You know, I mean, they, there's an element of anarchist, anarchy to a goth, right? Don't right. Don't you think?
0: Well, Crystal and Dean kind of headed back down to Joe's car. Just wanting to, I, I suppose, kind of like get away from this guy. Because they just were not interested and in they're talking They're probably
1: like, whatever, man. Right. Like the goth kids from the South Park.
0: And so while they're heading down to Joe's car, the other kids walk with Vidar and kind of approach this van. So he and his wife had like one of those full size, like kind of conversion vans.
1: Yeah, road van, son. Right. So... Perfect for a road trip. A group
0: of teenagers see this vehicle. They're very interested so they approached the van, Delphina and the two kids were waiting in the van. And it was during this time that Joe decided, hey, me and my friends, we need this van. As you mentioned, we're going to New Orleans. We need a great vehicle. Our car's a roomy, piece of shit. Something that, that's not gonna overheat. That looks exactly.
1: fun. Who didn't want to be and when you've seen vans back in the day and you're on the interstate traveling in anything but a van and you see people cruise by in a van. And they're just all kicked back. You see a TV playing and shit, and they're just having, they're just like swiveling around, there's tables. You're like,
0: it's a fucking A-team, I want to be part of it. Yes. I want my own A-team van. Oh, dude,
1: you wanted to be in that van. It's true. Going down the interstate. Yeah,
0: a shagging wagon. Oh, yeah. I, I always imagined it had shag carpeting and like a mirror ball in the oh, back. Oh, they had like
1: the full-blown captain's chairs that spun like around and sweet shit. ass
0: van in Rock and Roll High School.
1: Bunch of extra fucking carpet and shit.
0: As I mentioned earlier, it could possibly have a wizard airbrushed on the side of, a, of the van. With the
1: little round window back Why there? Why do I
0: not have this van? What I want this doing? fucking van. You are failing me as a provider. I need this van, Dylan.
1: Okay, we're going to get that van.
0: Take out your man bun and buy me this van. Back to the story. Joe decides he needs this fan. So what does he do? Aha! Remember he stole those guns?
1: We're about okay. to take this shit.
0: Okay, Gmail. I don't need your update right now. He pulls out a gun... Oh, and now Yahoo is telling you. me, there's a... I know, right? So he pulls out one of the guns, climbs into the van's passenger seat. Delphine is sitting in the driver's seat. He tells his friends and Vidar to get in the van as well.
1: It's carjacking.
0: Joe yelled to Crystal and Dean to follow them while wielding this gun. So in a split second, these kids went from runaways, petty Surly. thieves. Yeah. Just, you know, hey, we broke in a house and stole a gun. I mean, that's pretty major, but... It's going to get worse. Right. So they they go from that to being kidnappers, carjackers.
1: And, you know, a gun. Right. Violence, all that shit.
0: I should also mention that just about an hour before the teens were believed to encounter this Lad family, they were given a speeding ticket in Gate City, Virginia. I mean, if only that cop had known their next move. Yeah. You know, because they get a speeding ticket. An hour later, they encounter this family. They're holding them a gunpoint. That's kind of crazy.
1: That is crazy.
0: Joe ordered Delphina to drive them down the road a few miles out to what was more of like a rural dirt road.
1: I'm not going I'm not going to. You got to shoot me up here at the damn gas station. I am not getting in the fucking van with my family, and you're not driving me out no goddamn dirt road where it gets scary. I know you're going to shoot me in the face. I ain't going. You got to shoot me up with this motherfucker right here in this parking lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm down with that.
1: That's how I'm gonna do it, baby. If it happens, this might try to take our Subaru at gunpoint and tell us to drive out in the swamp and shit. They ain't gonna take you out there and have a conversation about damn
0: your finances. Well, I'm sure there's not a swamp around here, but well, I'm I, saying that's where they gonna shoot I you in the get face. Where you're going with? Okay, I'm sorry.
1: That's they just scary.
0: Drive out. They find this rural road. Dean and Crystal were in the uh, other car. You got to remember. Driving Joe's mom's car. When everybody kind of parks or forced out of the van, Joe told his friends that the family had seen them and therefore everybody had to die.
1: Now, could you imagine, on a serious note, how terrified this family is at this point?
0: Uh, right? I mean, one minute we were praising Jesus. Well, her husband's out doing
1: his thing. He probably goes up to people all damn time. She like, damn it, Vitor, get your little ass back up in here. We're trying to get home. You know, thinking all into two gun in your face, being forced, with your, you have kids in the vehicle, and you've been forced to drive to a remote location. I mean, you know those people know this is not good.
0: It is a frightening scenario. I could only imagine. One that I don't ever want to be in. No. Vidar was shot six times. Delphina eight times. Tabitha, the six-year-old, also shot. She actually died the next day in the hospital from her injuries. And then Peter, the two-year-old, was shot in the eye. He did survive. I believe some of his spinal cord, like one of the bullets kind of grazed his spine. He did have some issues from that. Oh, oh But uh, he was the sole survivor. The teens basically brutally, you know, murder this whole family, they think, because they don't know that the little boy is still alive. They kind of roll the bodies off almost into kind of like a, a bit of a ditch. Seemed like a really low ditch, though. It's not like a deep one. Yeah. And they load up in the van, and they end up driving over the bodies as they're leaving. Okay. So just disrespectful as fuck.
1: Yeah, so they went went off the edge now. You know, you've murdered, kidnapped, murdered, the stolen car, uh, the stolen guns, and all that shit matters anymore. Yeah. Now you've done the big deal, and you're... Now they're running. I'm sure they're terrified. They're scared too. I'm not making excuses for them, but they're young. They've done this crazy shit. And now they're, you know, running off in the van.
0: Well, the car was left at the crime scene, mired in mud. Joe's the car? Mom's car. I don't know why. <sighs> I, mean, I want to start a band called Joe's Mom's Car.
1: That's a great name for a punk band, but
0: are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're kids. They're not geniuses. Two of this crew has very low IQs. I mean,
1: let's face it, we're
0: not dealing with, like, mastermind criminals here, right?
1: Yeah, so the cops show up to this horrible, terrible scene. To be
0: honest, they're kind of a fucking bunch of dumb kids.
1: Their families, a dead family, show up, find a damn family, and, you know, they're like, oh, you, you find any clues? Like... There's a car stuck in the mud right there. All
0: right? With a of
1: tag. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, as you mentioned, of course, these kids are panicking. You know, what the fuck have we done? You know, we just killed a whole family. We've stolen their van. Shit just got real. They make the decision to drive on to New Orleans. But eventually, they talk themselves into going to Mexico. Okay. So, they get into Mexico. Somehow, and I'm not really sure of the details, Joe... Reisner somehow gets shot in the leg while they're in Mexico. So, something happens while they're there. Wow. Mexican authorities start to realize there's something going on with this group of kids. They spend only about two days in Mexico. Then, at some point, they're trying to sneak across the border into Arizona, and they're caught. Because they don't have any identification to get back into the States. This one guy's shot, bleeding... Like, things just aren't looking so good. And on top of that, they've been driving around in this van, so once they get to the border and the plates are run on this van, this van is wanted, it's been stolen, there's a murder that happens, so of course, this is all looking bad. So they'd made it. They made it to where every outlaw
1: and every western I've ever seen growing up was trying to get to. Yep. To fucking Mexico. They made it. Down but they went sh- to Mexico, straight down right. there, and gotten some bullshit. Dude gets shot, and now he got heat down there, and he' trying to come back.
0: While police are searching this van, searching these kids, they find a knife and a photo album of the Lilylids in the van. Obviously, this is the right van. The plates are <laughs> matching up. We find these people's personal items, and that was the other thing. There were some of the personal belongings of the Lily Lid's family. Um, you know in th- I guess that had been in the van, were now in possession by these kids.
1: Like in their stuff.
0: Yeah, so you got to think, I mean, who knows, maybe one of the girls was wearing a they ring. They probably got a bag, or yeah. had, you know, the woman's purse, or I don't know, whatever. But there were a few small items that these kids had in their possession. So all of these things stacking up, these guys are definitely suspects. They get arrested and are eventually extradited back to Tennessee.
1: Yeah, because they're going to get you for killing the whole family. Well, yeah. That's your ass.
0: At the trial, Natasha, Joe, and Karen testify that Jason, now remember, he's the youngest, that he was the sole shooter.
1: Now, he's the youngest, and he has a a lower IQ. Is that right?
0: Yes. He's the younger of the group, the youngest one. He has the lower IQ. He's also an individual that had been known in town as being troubled. He had been doing drugs since he was three, so he was—he was already kind of a bad seed. How the fuck you start doing drugs when you're three years old? I'm there drinking and doing drugs at three. Coors Light must be good. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I, I don't. I'm just saying. You, know, you see some like you're three years old. You see another three year old is like smoking a joint and fucking drinking and shit. Well, I
0: don't know. All the toddlers we see out at the breweries—they must be drinking. <laughs> we got a lot of alcoholic children running around there.
1: Yeah, and, and rescue dogs, apparently. <laughs> yes.
0: It's, huh. we're, we're not at a real official craft brewery unless there's like a baby and a couple of black labs running around. Yeah. So anyway, back to our stories. They're all saying basically, hey, it's Jason. He did it. But Jason's saying, it wasn't me. It was Dean and Joe who shot the family. And you have to remember, Joe's the one that held this family at gunpoint. He started Joe's the one that had this grand idea, these people have seen us, we're going to shoot them. During this trial, the media played into the whole goth thing.
1: Of course. Calling
0: them a vampire cult. Oh. Headlines were sensational. I mean, the teens had admitted to self-harm, playing with Ouija boards, reading books on the occult, playing with tarot cards burning 666 into carpets, you know, in a motel room, carving shit in their arms. Oh, yeah. It was just like a circus. I get, like, why the media plays this up. I mean, because it is kind of fascinating and people are like, oh, wow, satanic ritual oh, murder yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, how could you
1: not print that? Right? But during all this time, you know, it'd been through all that, yeah. That's just sensationalism right there. And They know people's going to be talking about it.
0: Well, it's true, and, and we had talked earlier about, you know, a lot of these kids in small towns, when a crime happens, are automatically suspects, like the West Memphis Three.
1: There's no doubt in my mind, if I've ever been certain on anything I've rewatched or seen in true crime, is that the cops did not, when they had the chance to get the real killer of them boys, they keyed on to, uh, you know, Jesse and his you know, friends and Damon. Or is it, was it Damien? Yes. Or, yeah, he see his fucking name's Damien. You know, and they got to be like, oh, this is all for you, Damien. Nuns falling off churches and shit. Yeah. Oh, it's over <laughs> for him. No, but for real, the real killer, just because of this attitude you're talking about. Well,
0: I mean, this murder
1: is horrific. But these kids really fucking did it, though.
0: It's essentially, you know, three-fourths of a family. A little boy.
1: And a little boy shot in who
0: Left... Orphaned and shot in the eye, and
1: they really did it. So fuck them. But they were—I mean, they were kids and stuff. But I mean, come on. But they're
0: definitely getting a lot more attention probably than they normally would have because of this whole oh, it's a vampire cult or whatever. Well, the trial was completed in March of 1998. They were all six convicted of felony murder. Three were also charged with carjacking and kidnapping, and. All of these guys and gals were sentenced to life in prison with no parole. Court testimony from the other five defendants was that Jason Bryant was the shooter, but now the judge, when he's delivering, you know, his, you know, sentencing and all that, stated that he believed that another undetermined member of the group had probably done some shooting as well, but that there just wasn't enough evidence. Testimony to convict that person,
1: yeah, and I wonder if they were shot with two di- both both guns, which they must have because they were all shot a lot.
0: Well, I saw kind of like a, a i wouldn't call it a documentary, but one of those sort of investigation shows yeah. you know that had said there was a like repair type of guy, like maybe worked for a utilities company or something that had been out near the murder site on this rural road. And that he had heard two like, you know
1: separate gun Yeah, noises. that he
0: thought it was like two gun like two different guns.
1: Right. And they had a nine and a twenty two, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was a twenty five
1: a twenty five pistol. Yes. And, and a nine, nine millimeter.
0: millimeter pistol. And that he thought it was like two different guns, but I didn't get much more information on if both firearms had been discharged who would you know which victim had been shot with what gun right those details i was not able to find but uh, this guy believed that he had heard the murders because he said he did hear gunshots and it was around the time that the, this family was estimated to be shot and killed
1: well yeah father shot eight mother shot six times Yeah. And they didn't say on the poor little one. Well, actually, mom was
0: shot eight. Dad was shot six times.
1: Oh, okay. And the poor little one, they didn't say. And then the little boy once. I mean, that's a lot of shots.
0: Peter, the two-year-old, he spent a lot of time in recovery. And after he was, you know, well, if you want to say that, he was at the center of a custody battle among his family members. His paternal aunt, um, her name was Randy Heyer, she was given custody of him. And she took him to Sweden to raise. He struggled with injuries throughout his youth, stemming from this incident.
1: And he lost his whole family.
0: And he lost his whole family.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no...
0: One of the reasons that she was given custody was she was able to say she could take him back to Europe, to Scandinavia, to Sweden, raise him in a more traditional style, like what her brother had grown up, you know, that whole culture and that also she would raise this child as a Jehovah's Witness, which was what his parents wanted.
1: Yeah, and honestly, I don't know about the, you know, religious aspect, but um, him probably going to a completely different country is probably a good thing.
0: Yeah, I would say so.
1: To be a t- totally different environment. Some anonymity. Anything connected to what happened, you know, him remembering. The- He's
0: not going to have, like, Geraldo knocking <clears throat> on his door yeah. like, 20 years later. Yeah. Like, hey, let's do an interview. He's not going to be on Dr. Phil.
1: Oh, yeah. You or know. have some assholes on a podcast talk about them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like us. Too bad podcasts are different.
0: Oh my god. In 2001, while in prison, Natasha Cornett... now you have to remember Natasha kind of the ringleader of all this. Yeah.
1: She's the manu- she's the hot manipulator that chick.
0: Saucy vixen. She and another inmate, Krista Pike, allegedly attacked another inmate, Patricia Jones. And tried to strangle her with a shoelace.
1: So Natasha just fucked up.
0: Apparently. When this comes to trial, there was insufficient evidence found. Natasha was not formally charged in this, but Krista Pike was found guilty of attempted murder. You know, and they knew Natasha had likely assisted her in this and helped jump this Patricia Jones girl, But they were not able to, you know, nail her with it. And, of course, since then, many of these, what do I want to call them, criminals? (laughs) Many of these kids have tried to appeal their sentence. You know, there was something about, you know, if you're a minor, you can't be sentenced with uh, the death penalty. And so Karen, uh, Jason, they've all tried to appeal. Natasha's tried to appeal her sentence. But so far, they are all still in prison.
1: Well, you know, that's tricky. You know, when you get um, kids that do things, you know, at such a rather young ages. But, you know, I don't know. For me, it's like there's a line there. And I don't know so much about their case. That is one of those pack mentality. If all these kids had been separate, it's like these couples that get together. These two personalities, you know, separate, they may be fine. But together, it's just that right mixture of dysfunction and and whatever. Like those two little Slenderman girls. If yeah. they had never been together, that little you know, they wouldn't. That little girl wouldn't have been attacked. But yeah, so but anyway, some of these kids do. Damn young people do some pretty horrible shit.
0: Crystal Sturgill and Karen Howell wrote letters that surfaced around the eve of the twentieth anniversary of this family's death. and try to describe you know what happened. Um, Howell, remember she was seventeen at the time. She said that the satanic rituals was just not even true, that that was all made up. She said Jason Bryant was the gunman in the crime and that they had spent the day smoking marijuana and that he had a lot of manic behavior. Natasha has manic behavior. And it just kind of created this really nasty sort of storm of of bad things to happen. So she was asking for an appeal she thought that it was unconstitutional that she had gotten this mandatory sentence for you know life in prison as a juvenile and um that you know she really was like a part of it as an accessory but she wasn't really part of the crime she didn't do the shooting she Right, she's basically was just sort of along for the ride, and Des- this all happened, and she just didn't know what to do.
1: Describing basically what we mentioned the other day, these perfect set of circumstances, like if a you know abused woman kills her spouse or her attacker who's been you know attacking her for years or any of that, there's just that one set of circumstances where you would ever harm anyone or have to you know whatever. She you know, but you're not just a, a fucked up person. You just happen to be in these messed fucked up. Circumstances, right? Well,
0: Karen Howell's letter—I read it in its entirety—and she talks a lot about, um, you know, her bad experiences throughout childhood. How it had a big effect on her: a lot of pain, anger, confusion. She had low self-worth. That she was never taught how to deal with um, her emotions when bad things happened. She had all these wounds that lay open in silence. And that those feelings just stayed with her for so long and she didn't really know how to process them or deal with them. It kind of led her to make a lot of bad choices. I mean, she was like, I ran away from home. I, you know, was bullied. I acted out. I dabbled in stuff I shouldn't have. I was trying to get my life back on track, babysitting, trying to work, you know, at this daycare, saving money to buy a car. She was just saying that she got to a point where she just kind of lost herself was looking for validation in all the wrong places, fell into this crowd, and it was just kind of easy to go along with the group because she had a lot of issues.
1: There's that that country song about that. Is there? (laughs) Looking
0: for validation in all
1: the wrong places. Well,
0: yeah. I don't know. I mean, part of me thinks, like, this group definitely got what they deserve because this is a horrific crime. But at the same time, I mean, Karen, Crystal, they were kind of just along for the ride. I mean, they really didn't play like a significant role in this. That's see, that they work. They seem like people who probably would not reoffend.
1: That was the result of, I think, the goth vampire. They're all evil. They're all bad because typically in the same. I mean, I've heard cases that were way worse than that. People being tortured you know, cut apart and all this. Not that this isn't horrible. You know, I've seen, you know, people just along for the ride or they had the lease roll, get six, eight, five years.
0: Right. I mean, I think you have to look at, they, and I'm no judge here. I'm no attorney. I'm no legal expert. But I feel like you have to look at the individuals. And I think Karen Howell, Crystal Sturgill, they're definitely people. Well, I shouldn't say definitely, but they seem to me to be people who would likely not Go out and do this crime again. They were Probably just with gonna someone go who murder did a family, again. right?
1: They were with somebody who happened to do this fucked up shit.
0: And they really have kind of paid for the crime. I mean, they've done a lot of time. They've done over twenty. They've served almost twenty years. More before. than a lot
1: of murderers get.
0: Exactly. So right. Yeah. Maybe they should be able to get out now. Right. I mean, I think Jason Bryant, if he's the real shooter. No, he deserves to be where he is. And he's probably the
1: older. He's probably oldest, right? No, he's the
0: youngest one. Oh, but Joe Reisner is the older. He's the twenty-year-old. And you've got to think he's the one that was like stealing guns, pulling the guns out. If he hadn't been with the other three, kidnapped these guys, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So I think Joe, Natasha, and Jason definitely played a big part in this. Right. And I think that Dean. I mean, he kind of went along with it, too. He's driving the car, following them. He could have easily been like, we're going to get the hell out of here. I mean, I have to say, if I'm out with my group of friends and I'm in the car behind this group, they steal a van oh, a yeah. family hostage. No. I, I'm going to look at my shotgun rider and I'm going to be like, we're getting the fuck out of here. I'm not meeting. overheating or not, I'm oh, turning yeah. my ass around and going the opposite direction.
1: Until this car blows the fuck up. I'm not going to be part of this. Uh, we are not going to meet them any fucking where. Because this is, as a matter of fact, we're going to call the fucking police right now. Right? And say that they tripping and go get them. We're going to stop this. I wouldn't yeah. be able to. I mean, I don't care how I mean, I
0: okay, badass like, I'm trying to be. He's the driver of the car. He had every opportunity to turn the car around. Right. But he followed along. So you can't even pull that. that makes him a little bit more like culpable for whatever happened.
1: You can't pull that. I was scared for my life bullshit, you know, because that's what they typically do. Right. Uh, there's this alpha guy and everybody's scared to death of him. So, that's why they help him cut up a body and move it around and all that bullshit. Yeah, I'm not doing any of that. And if I have a chance, like you said, I'm gone. We out.
0: So I guess we'll call this the Kentucky Vampire Cult.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's a good name for a punk band.
0: Maybe, but I and think we love you. Kentucky. We do. Getting, we love them. Getting lucky in Kentucky.
1: Love Palmville.
0: But before we end the show, I want to give a shout out to L. Gibbs, one of our new Patreon supporters, oh. and also Jeremy. Um, So they've signed up on our Patreon account. They've become patrons, are donating money to our podcast, which is always great. If you want to be a patron, all you have to do is go over to um, Mountain Murders Podcast on Patreon. You can sign up for just a couple of bucks a month. I think our lowest level is like three dollars. Yeah, you can afford three bucks a month, but it helps our podcast with some of the expenses. It keeps it alive, upgrade equipment, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, that's we are listener powered. I mean it literally is it is uh we were talking earlier earlier day about this uh amazing times that we leave live in you know that we can try to do this little something something and people can without any corporate you know having to, you know anyone having their fingers in it or you know we can straight to the people Well, right, exactly and, and yeah, thank you l Gibbs and Jeremy that's very incredible, so you guys literally are. Keeping this podcast going, and we really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and of course, all of our folks on Facebook, all of our friends over there, I feel like we have a nice little community it's on our Mountain Murders page. Wonderful. We've got a lot of people who interact, and you can tell they're kind of interacting with each other. Yeah, Maybe they're making some Facebook friends, um, but it's a lot of fun. So if you're not following us on Facebook, go look up Mountain Murders. We post a lot of funny memes, of course, links to the podcast, different information there, and we're also on Twitter. And you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Yeah. If
0: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Spreaker.
1: Yeah, if you uh, don't Heart. do tune in and then think it's uh, it doesn't sound like total shit and want to listen to another episode, if you guys, no matter where you listen, get it, whatever player platform, hit that subscribe button. That helps us on, on uh, just get word of mouth out there and stuff, and you'll automatically you know, get um get new episodes because we're going to be a little sporadic over the next couple of weeks.
0: We want to pump out some content. We're,
1: we might drop one at one in the morning. We might drop one at 10 on a Friday evening or whatever.
0: Ooh, the suspense. It is. And of course,
1: we would be dropping, uh, so that means a good bunch of extra stuff for the patrons. Yeah. We got some great little mini sods we're going to call them special for the patrons. And, um, you know, some other media there, pictures, whatnot, news accounts, things like that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yep,
1: so it's about to be, can I say it? I've been saying it. Okay. A
0: content bomb, dog. Okay. Was that okay? He's got his man bun and he's being very hip. I don't know what's happening. You, you know here. what? But I'm thank a you for tuning in, checking out Mountain Murders. We appreciate it. And we'll be back soon with more true crime.